You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. We are hovering around full employment. That's the phrase economists and the journalists who love them use, hovering around full employment. But the first time I encountered that phrase as a weird kid reading the business section of the newspaper, I read it as hoovering around full employment like the economy was this enormous vacuum cleaner sucking up the jobless. Anyway, Trump has probably already claimed credit for all the hoovering the job market is doing right now. Yeah, the economy is creating jobs and has been since 2010. Not great paying jobs, no new jobs in coal mines, more and more jobs without health care thanks to Trump and the Republicans in Congress. But this is still Obama's jobs recovery. And right now, Trump is boasting and coasting, which is what Republicans do when they take over from a Democrat who has repaired the damage done to the economy and the culture by a previous Republican administration. We will see what happens this year with Trump's obscene new tax scheme going into effect. But there is at least one newly unemployed person out there who could use a job in 2018. Mateo Rueda is an art teacher or was an art teacher at Lincoln Elementary in Hiram, Utah. In early December, he sent his students to the school's very own library to look through boxes of postcards of famous artworks that were a part of the school's own collection. This was off the school's own shelves stuff, not art postcards Rueda brought in from home. And I hope you're sitting down. In those collection, hundreds of postcards of famous works of European and world art, there were a few naked ladies. When Rueda realized there was nudity in the collection of postcards in the school's own library, he yanked the postcards with nudes, apologized to his students, and informed them that artists have, from time to time, painted pictures of naked ladies and dudes. These being fifth and sixth graders and this being Utah, you can probably guess what happens next. Parents, parents found out and some, not all, but some did what any reasonable, sorry, unreasonable person would do in a case like this. They called the police on the art teacher who allowed his students to look at art postcards sitting on the shelf in the school's own library. The police opened an investigation, took the collection of postcards into evidence, seized them, interviewed the school's principal and some upset parents. And then the school did what any unreasonable school would do and fired Rueda for letting his students look at art postcards that were in the library at Lincoln Elementary where they could be viewed, at least in theory, by students at Lincoln Elementary. I kept checking the dates on the stories I was reading about Mateo Rueda's firing. I couldn't believe parents today now, with their kids carrying smartphones in their pockets, yes, even in small towns in Utah, could get upset about a Modigliani nude. And they seem to be upset that Rueda told their kids that there were more naked ladies in art museums out there everywhere. Gee, now that our kids know that there are naked ladies in art museums, they might tear themselves away from Pornhub and Xtube long enough to visit the Mets website and pick through its collection looking for news. They might even, once they get the hell out of Hiram, Utah, visit an art museum Heavenly Father forbid. In fairness, some Lincoln Elementary parents have protested the firing of their school's art teacher, 
But as with sex ed, so with art postcards, these sexphobic, sex-panicked parents are angrier and louder, and school boards and administrators are more afraid of the angry shouters than they are of the cooler, calmer, saner parents and people out there everywhere. As a general rule, there isn't really anything about our country that couldn't be improved by saner people making a concerted effort to be louder and scarier than the sexphobes and the sexists and the haters and the racists and the climate change denialists and on and on. Welcome to 2018. Happy New Year, sane people. We got loud in 2017, and we are going to have to be even louder in 2018. Mateo Rueda is going to appeal his dismissal and fight to get his job back. No word yet on whether the Cache County Sheriff's Office is going to return the seized art postcards to the school library at Lincoln Elementary. All right, coming up on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, we've got tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum subscription edition, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, a hot black guy from the internet to talk about how hot black guys on the internet are treated by other guys on the internet. That's on the Magnum. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 30s married female and an attorney. I'm an attorney in a fairly small field, and because it's small, relationships are fairly important to getting things done. It's also predominantly male and still somewhat stuck in the old boys club mentality. So I quite frequently get comments about my outfit or more so how I look in it and what maybe I should be doing later. And I do the the female socialized response of giggle, tee-hee, yo, thank you, and maybe a little flirty response back. I've come to realize that certainly that is not a good way to do this and, and educate these men that this is inappropriate. I've certainly never felt unsafe, and a small part of me does enjoy it, I still got it. But I am concerned that maybe other people may not know me as well and may not realize that I am a good attorney. Like I, I think that these men who make these comments, certainly I have proven to myself to them as an attorney. But other people may overhear who don't know me and may even be potential clients. So aside from being inappropriate, I'm also concerned that it is affecting my relationships with others. So I'm trying to come up with a better way to respond. Obviously, there's no HR I can go to. I don't work directly in a, in a company with these men. And a lot of them have their, their own firms, so it's not even like I could go to their boss if that was an option. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with a way to respond that will educate them that this is inappropriate while also not making me the grumpy lady that can't hang with the boys. You know, I, I I also feel that because some guy can't not make a joke, I should not have to leave my pearls at home, my pearl necklace. So just uh, some, some advice on maybe better ways to respond to this. Deflecting this shit can be exhausting. It's also degrading. You shouldn't have to paste a smile on your face when someone is making a joke, an inappropriate, demeaning, degrading joke about your pearl necklace. But full confrontation, really going at these guys is potentially career suicide and not for them, for you. It's this catch-22 that a lot of women find themselves in who are vulnerable. You don't want to lose clients, lose business. You don't want to get a reputation as somebody who can't be worked with. You don't want to open yourself up to being Mia Sorvino'd by the Harvey Weinsteins of your world. So what do you do in an instance like this? You should be able to angrily confront some asshole who makes a joke about your pearl necklace or some other inappropriate, unprofessional remark. But you have to weigh that against your income, your future. And you shouldn't have to, and that sucks, and I'm sorry. And But that's what you're asking me for. How do you educate these assholes without coming across like the grumpy lady who can't hang with the 
boys. I think there's another option on the table besides deflection and besides direct and angry and righteous and you ought to be able to confrontation. And that's kind of a lateral pass, a gesture toward other people who might have a problem with this. You could say to these guys, have you read the news? Have you opened a newspaper in print? like an old fucking fart like you are. Have you opened a website? Have you turned on a television in the last few months? Are you familiar with the work of Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Garrison Keeler, and on and on and on, and the fact that none of these men are working anymore because they were doing shit like you're doing right now. And you can say to them, hey, I can take it. That's ha ha ha, my pearl necklace. But guys, you got to know, if you say this to the wrong person, you are potentially committing career suicide. You said it to me. I wasn't the wrong person. Next time you might draw the short straw. Next time you might draw the HR complaint. Next time you might draw the being called to the bar. Potentially losing your license in this hashtag me too era. So hashtag knock this shit off. Not for my sake. Not in deference to my delicate sensibilities. But for your own sake. Guys, the world has changed around you. Dinosaurs. <laughs> And you got to change with it or the person you're going to hurt now, it isn't the women that you work with and feel compelled to demean and degrade to make yourselves feel better about being dudes or less threatened by powerful women. The person you're going to hurt is you. The career you're going to end is yours. Open a fucking newspaper. Ha 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 ha. Pearl necklace. Hey, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old straight male living in the East Coast. Uh, I am calling with a question about what to tell a somebody that I'm dating. <laughs> so I have been dating this person for only like two weeks, and we spent about four days pretty much seeing each other for like basically nonstop. And eventually things got pretty intimate on the fourth or third or fourth day, and you know we had sex. It was great and it was fun, but like there's a something about her that was just really troubling to me and I couldn't figure it out until like I realized really recently that she reminded me exactly of my ex-girlfriend and I have a lot of past trauma with my ex-girlfriend that I'm still clearly dealing with. And I sort of just the last week have been kind of ignoring her on some level. I've been texting her a little bit, but I just, have not been as intimate with her, not been trying, not been talking to her as much. And so I'm wondering, like, I know that the the reason is, is because she reminds me so much of my ex-girlfriend and I didn't really realize it until we had sex. And so I'm trying to figure out, do I like tell her this? Do I tell her that, you know, the reason I don't really want to see you anymore or the reason that I feel like we sh this is not going to work is because you remind me so much of my ex-girlfriend or if I should just leave it to myself and just tell her that, you know, like things aren't working out, things don't feel right. Or do I like continue trying to see her and, and see if that feeling goes away? You know, like I like her, but it would be really difficult to continue seeing her if she reminds me so much of my ex who was really terrible to me. Break things off cleanly. Don't just ghost on this woman and use the off-the-shelf excuses. It's not you, it's me. And literally, in your case, that's true. It is you. She hasn't done anything wrong except bearing a vague similarity to your ex, the ex that you had a very unpleasant time with, the ex who left you 
kind of traumatized. So it is literally you, not her. She can't help that she's similar in some ways to your ex. In fact, it's probably your fault that you're seeing someone, again, who is similar in some ways to your ex. Now, the ways in which she's similar to your ex, those could be positive traits. Something about your ex attracted you to her. She also had qualities or issues or damage or drama that repulsed you and that left you kind of traumatized in the wake of that relationship. It's possible that the girl you've been seeing now shares some of the positive traits, some of the things you liked about your ex, and you may be rounding her up to completely your ex, including all the garbage and shit. So think about that for a second, whether you're doing that or not, because every woman you're ever going to date because you're attracted to certain types and certain emotional dynamics or components, there's always going to be certain similarities, the very least biped vertebrate hominite, right? There's always going to be some baseline similarities uh, from girl to girl to girl that you date. And if every time you date a girl, you run the program in your head, you identify the ways in which she's similar to your shitty toxic ex in your past, then you have to dump them because, yeah, you're setting yourself up for a lot of romantic failure and you're setting a lot of women up for heartbreak. So think about that before you dump this woman. But if the traits she shares with your ex are the negative things, the traumatizing things, things you don't want in a partner ever again, yeah, just break it off. Don't ghost and don't tell her, hey, that was really fun. Really enjoyed putting my dick in you. You remind me of my ex though, so I'm out. Because what's she supposed to do with that? Except be pained by it and feel as if the universe took a dump on her. So yeah, don't say that. You eat it. You say cliche. Grab the cliche off the shelf. Not you. It's me. It's true in this case. And everybody knows or should know what to do when they hear it's not you, it's me. It's just not happening for them for whatever reason. And there's not going to be an explanation. We don't get explanations and closure is something we do for ourselves, not something that other people have to provide for us or can provide for us. She's a big girl. She's been dumped before. She'll get dumped again, as will you. So dump her. Don't ghost her. Don't pull the Band-Aid off slowly. Don't text with her just a little bit, just enough to fill her with false hopes. When you know this isn't happening, just fucking over up and end it. Hey, Dan, and the tech savvy at Rescue. I'm a queer woman from Southern Connecticut, and I'm calling with a problem I've been having about dudes on dating apps. I usually date and fuck queer women and trans folks, but every now and then I like to fuck a cis dude. Recently, when I've been trying to talk to them, um, I've run into this problem where I propose a date um, so we can get to know each other in person and they redirect my question. They either ignore my question or start sexing me, tell me we should meet up right now, even though I'm usually at work or busy. I've given a couple of these guys the benefit of the doubt and actually gotten them out and fucked. But even after that, they're relentless with their text messages, especially late at night or when they want to sext. Um, but they're so hesitant to set a time. It's extremely frustrating. And I really wouldn't mind it so much. I would just tell them to fuck off. But they, these are the same guys that won't stop texting me. Um, I don't understand this behavior. I've been really clear about my wants and needs are, but they don't to understand them. Um, what is going on here? Is it me? Is it a dude thing? I just, I don't get it. It's not you. It's them. There are guys out there, lots of guys out there, perhaps even the majority of guys out there who have this 
dirty thought porn loop fantasy world constantly running in their heads, constantly humming away, sometimes on the back burner, sometimes it's the B plot, sometimes it becomes the A plot, but it's constantly – guys, guys are like this and lots of women are like this too. You move through the world thinking dirty thoughts. You have this internal porny monologue and some guys will meet people online and not really feel like they're people because they're just pixels and digits and text messages and they will plug that pixelated person, those pixels into their porny internal monologue and just start to toy with and play with them and fantasize about them, not as another living, breathing human being that they're ever going to meet. Some guys don't ever want to meet that person. They want that person to exist as pure internal porny monologue fantasy. And they'll start with the dirty text and the sexting and the we should and we will and I want to, but they won't set up a time to actually meet because you're this pornified, fantastical abstraction, this fantasy figure. And you've been plugged into the porny internal monologue. And when that happens, you have the option of blocking these assholes, blocking their numbers if you don't want to play that role. Now, some people out there really enjoy that. Some people have long-term, porny, shared, mutual internal monologue relationships with people that they've met via Instagram or on Twitter or via dating apps where they're never going to meet. They're just going to delight each other by poking each other a little bit during the day, by sending a dirty little message, by cranking them up and getting cranked up in return. And that is the extent of the relationship. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing to share with someone from afar. It's, it's one of the great pleasures that these technologies have brought into our lives or brought into some of our lives, but it has to be mutual, mutually enjoyable, mutually pleasurable for it to continue. You don't have to subject yourself to this. You can block these guys. It's interesting that you've run a few of these guys to ground and actually met up with them. Has me thinking that on some level, perhaps you enjoy being plugged into these guys' internal porny monologues. And that's not a terrible thing, but you want IRL as the kids Sad until they heard me saying it, at which point they promptly stopped saying it. You want in real life action and you should call them on it. And that can be a problem for some guys because they get online, they get on dating apps, they meet people via Instagram or some other social media platform and they construct a sort of more masculine, more sexual, more aggressive, more competent persona. And they know that they can't live up to that person. They know they can't live up to the person that their sexts and their text messages might lead the recipient of their sex and text messages to believe that they are. So they can never meet up because they're going to be a disappointment. And they don't want to be a disappointment. They'd rather continue to be this internal monologue, porny fantasy figure. Or you end for themselves. So some guys oversell. And they can't close the deal because they know they can't bring the goods. And you're never going to meet those guys. And there's usually a point where you realize that's what's going on. And at that point, if you're interested in in real life, hooking up with occasional cis dude, block that guy because he's never going to come through. But if you want to go to the extra effort of reeling in the guy where it hasn't gone that far yet, it almost sounds like I'm describing that fictional process of being moved into the friend zone. But perhaps in this case, it's real. You're being moved into the fantasy abstraction zone. If you feel yourself being moved toward the fantasy abstraction zone, you can demand an in real life meeting. You can say, I'm not interested in endless sexting and chatting. I want to meet. I want face-to-face. -face. I want face-to-crotch. I want crotch-to-crotch. -crotch. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm interested in. If that's never going to happen, see you bye. You can call the question. Perhaps then you'll land the dude. But if it goes on and on and on and on, you're never going to meet that dude because that dude knows that the image that he's created in your head of him is a fiction.
and he'd rather not meet than meet and disappoint. Hi, Dan. I love the podcast. I'm a 22-year-old trans man, and I have a question for you. I'm very deeply and intrinsically kinky as a dominant top, and for a variety of reasons, including just shyness, I've never mentioned this to my past vanilla partners. And when it's been time for me to orgasm, I've mentally just floated away to a fantasy where I'm doing the things I wanted to do instead in order to come. Every time, I was never present in the moment with them. I also never really consciously realized I was doing this or really thought about it beyond, okay, time to come. I transitioned two years ago, and I've been dating my girlfriend for four months so far, though we were extremely close friends for a year or so before then. She's my first new partner since transitioning, and she is the epitome of GGG. We are extraordinarily sexually compatible. I'm getting to do all the things I've ever fantasized about to her, and she loves it. I feel connected and involved with her in ways I never have before. But when it's time for me to come, I still do the same thing. And that's what made me realize I was doing it because I started to separate from myself to come and got irritated with myself because I like her so much and I wanted to be there with her, even if that meant not coming. My girlfriend and I have talked about this and she thinks it's actually kind of hot, like I'm using her to get off while being detached and not paying attention to her. She specifically asked me to tell you that she's open to doing anything you suggest. Like I said, she's really GGG. Personally, it bothers me a bit that I can't be present with her. I'd rather it be a personal choice that I can choose to do or not but I also don't care too much about coming during sex. It isn't a requirement for me. It may be a trans thing. I don't fantasize about things like fucking her of a dick I don't have or anything. I literally just think about things we already do, but I need to feel separated from myself in order to come. My first sexual partner and ex-girlfriend also violently raped me when I was 15, and I don't remember if I needed the separation to come before then. I may have just taught myself into it from my past vanilla experiences. They've all been men, and I'm not incredibly into men. So do I have a weird trans version of death grip syndrome? Um, do you have any suggestions for how to break me of this habit? I'd really like to be able to be present and in the moment with her. Your problem's interesting, but I'm really obsessed with the word you accidentally coined there when you said that you and your new girlfriend, and congratulations on your new relationship, you described yourselves as compatible. You met compatible, of course, with a P, but you said compatible with a B. And that's kind of genius. I'm in love with this word. I just want to sit with this word because it kind of describes my relationship, my husband. Our friends call us the bickering bickersons. We love each other loudly. We, we fight and we go at each other every once in a while. But it's all very loving and we both enjoy it. It obviously works and works for us. We're compatible. It's a compatible relationship. In a very compatible relationship with my husband, we are compatible, the two of us. Anyway, I love that word. I love a neologism, and I love when it happens organically, like it just did in your call. So thank you. Also, congratulations on your transition. I think perhaps this disassociation might have something to do with gender dysphoria. That's an easy thing to pin it to or to see an angle on that, that before you transitioned, you were in a way separated from yourself. And perhaps that spilled out into your erotics and erotic imagination. But I think the likelier explanation, and let's Occam's razor the shit out of this, is that for a great deal of time, you were having sex, you were having partnered sex. It wasn't the sex that you wanted to have. It wasn't the kind of sex you wanted to have. It wasn't with the people that you wanted to be with. So in order to climax, you had to throw yourself in the end into the kind of sex and the kind of people that you wanted to be having it with in order to climax. So you had to disassociate. You had to go to a private masturbatory fantasy place and that carved a very deep groove, perhaps a mental death grip syndrome. You carved a very deep groove into your erotic response, into your orgasmic routine. And this is what brought you to the point of orgasmic inevitability. This was reliable. And so you kept going back to it in the way that somebody with death grip syndrome 
reliably chokes the shit out of their dick in order to come and carves a deep groove. And then they're unable to climax without that particular sensation, a sensation that a vagina or a mouth or an anus can't provide. Only a gripped fist can provide and a roughly gripped fist can provide. So how do you break yourself of this habit? Well, not in the same way, not in the exact same way that someone with death grip syndrome breaks himself of that habit, which is just stop it. If you don't come, you don't come. And you wait six months, wait a year, and you have sex and you enjoy the sex. And if you don't get there, you don't, in the last minute, revert to the death grip that always worked for you because your dick's just going to wait you out every time and you're not going to break yourself of it. But in your case, I think you continue to go there. I think you continue to do what you're doing, but you bring your GGG girlfriend along into your fantasies. Dirty talk. You guys are doing whatever you're doing. She's GGG. You're able to have the crazy kinky sex that you've always wanted to have and with the person you've always wanted to have it. Your junk is waiting and the chunk of your brain that manages your junk and keeps track of the orgasmic plateaus and sends out the warning signals when you reach the point of orgasmic inevitability. As that's all happening, there is a script running in your head. There is a monologue. There is the, the fantasy scenario that you were spinning out. And it is verbal, perhaps, in your head. It's not just a cascade of images. At this point, with you having fantasized about these things over and over again, it's a script Open your mouth, use your words, say these things, share that fantasy in that moment with your partner, with your girlfriend, and let it exist side by side with whatever else you two are doing at that moment. And that's totally possible. You can be having a crazy kinky sex connection or a crazy vanilla sex connection, and the physical sensations of that and the emotional sensations of that can exist side by side with you, and you can open your mouth and and share that monologue, share that fantasy with your girlfriend as you're doing everything else that you're doing. Obviously, you can do these things at the same time, physically do what you're doing and also have this fantasy script running in your head and bring her in and let her help you build on it because it's a dialogue then and not just you retreating into your fantasy and you pulling out of the room or disassociating from her. You're pulling her into your fantasy with you. And these things, what you guys are doing and everything you've done up to this moment and then this fantasy spinning out, They can happen at the same time, happen together. And so you're not leaving your girlfriend and going someplace else. You're taking your girlfriend's hand and she's joining you in that other place while you still also both together remain in the other place, the physical place where you are connected. And then the fantasy place where you are also connected but looking forward to the things you're going to do next time. And you may find that you're doing X with your girlfriend and you spin out fantasy scenario Y And next time you guys get together or a little ways down the road, you're doing fantasy scenario Y, but you're spinning out fantasy scenario Z. And this is how your erotic imagination, your erotic script plays out. It's how it works for you. Bring her into it. Entirely possible. Bring her in. She wants in. It's a great sign that she doesn't feel insecure by the fact that you go there when you're with her and you need to go there. So she's not shaming you. It's not like you have to bring her in or she's going to be mad or jealous or upset. You get to bring her in. You have a partner who supports the way your erotic imagination, your erotic script plays. Let her play with you. Let her build on it. Let her add to it. Let her be present in it. This is what we like to call a non-problem problem. There really isn't a problem here. You just need to shift a little bit. You just need to get out of your own way. And it's all going to be good. It's all going to be solved. 
We're going to do a whole show on non-problem problems, and we've been saving the non-problem problem calls. Yours slipped through the non-problem problem call filter. So everybody gets to look forward to the non-problem problem show, but you and your girlfriend, while everyone else looks forward to the non-problem problem show, you get to enjoy what's working. And it sounds like everything is working in your highly compatible relationship. And from one person in a highly compatible relationship to another, I say congratulations on finally doing what you want to do, finally being who you actually are with the person you want to do and be those things with. Congratulations. Have fun. Hey, Dan. Uh, this is uh, Charlie from uh, North Carolina. Me and my wife decided to open our uh, marriage. She is uh, bisexual and uh, she's never explored it until recently. And it's always been a part of her. And I've been trying to support her and and think it's a good thing. I don't feel like she's cheating on me or anything like that. I think it's a part of her. She's suppressed for 35 years and I'm encouraging her to do it. I have chose not to open up the marriage from my end because uh, I don't feel like I need to. But I guess my question is trying to stay supportive, trying to make myself feel secure in all of it. I don't feel like she's cheating. I don't feel like she's trying to hurt me. I get this is who she is and I'm trying to support her and I just don't know how to get my my feelings right and my head, my head right sometimes during times of doubt to keep that support going because I want this for her and I feel like she's suppressed this for years and uh, it hurts me that she's lived like that and I want her to live her life to the fullest. You know, a lot of people out there listening are probably like, what the fuck with this guy? He's opening up the marriage but only for the wife. You, you're not opening it up for yourself. She's going to have sex with other people. You're not going to have sex with other people. Is that correct? Correct. And it's uh, opening up to, um, to women for her. Right. And some people, when they, you know, they open the relationship for the partner, they feel sort of obligated to go have sex with other people themselves, whether or not they really want to, because it's only fair. And so they run out and have sex that leaves them feeling icky or dispirited because they didn't really want to do it. They were fine with their partner doing it, but they feel somehow as if they're being badly used or that they would be embarrassed if other people knew that their partner was having sex with other people, but they were not. And it's good that you are able to get to this point where you're like, you know what? I don't have to, even though she's going to, and I'm going to let her, and this is ethical non-monogamy, but it doesn't have to be mutual non-monogamy because it's not what you want. And that's, what's important here. That's what people need to focus on. Not who's getting how much ice cream, but who wants ice cream. And if one person wants ice cream, the other person doesn't, you don't shove ice cream down the throat of the person who doesn't want fucking ice cream. She needs to and wants to have sex with other people. You don't want to. And so you're not going to. She's going to. And it's ethical non-monogamy. And I think that's a good place to start. What I'm calling you about, though, is it sounds like you think it's all on you to make this work. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does to an extent. Okay. So you, you say, how do um, I get my feelings right with this? Uh, that's right. the, the expression you used a, a couple of times. How do I get right with this? How do I get my feelings right with this? So what are the feelings that you're talking about that don't feel right? Do you, are you struggling with feelings of jealousy, with insecurity? Um, I, I guess it would be insecurity, definitely more than jealousy. Like I, I get this as a part of her and I'm trying to give that to her and let her explore that. But I want to be, be feel, I guess, safe enough to do it where I don't feel like I'm inadequate in all of it and just um, trying to honor uh, what she's feeling and letting her experience and live life to the fullest. You know, one of the ways to, to solve the, you know, I don't want to feel inadequate dilemma in our lives is to embrace that we are all of us inadequate, <laughs> that no, yeah, right. no one person is all things sexually to another person, that there are always inadequacies and there are, you know, the, the prices of admission that people pay to be with us and, and we pay to be with them. You don't get everything you want in a partner. No one does. And even if you're in an open relationship and you can sleep with 8 million people, 
or 8 billion people, you're still not going to get everything you ever wanted in a partner or, or from sex. Cause it's just, it doesn't work that way. Cause our, our, our fantasies, our imaginations uh, have no limits and, and you know, anything is possible in our fantasies and anything is possible in our erotic imaginations and not everything is possible with human beings. So those feelings of inadequacy, just embrace them, inhabit them. Yeah. I'm not, I can't be everything for her. There must be parts of her. There must be things that, that you don't get. There must be ways in which she is inadequate. Right. So the advice there is just like, you know, people write to me, Oh, he's looking at porn. I, I, you know, my girlfriend is staring at the barista. It makes me feel like I'm not enough. It's like, you know, you're not, you're not, but you're close enough to enough that they chose you and they're with you. And it's wonderful when one person needs something very specific that their partner can't bring to the table uh, rather than let that need fester and rather than let that become a wedge that gets driven into the relationship and, and could ultimately destroy it, to give that person permission to go get that need met elsewhere can make the couple bond stronger because then you're not the reason that this can't happen for that person. You're the reason this is happening for that person. And nothing about being with you prevents them from also having this other thing that they want and need. And it can make a relationship stronger because your partner comes home feeling grateful. She, she, you know, hopefully ideally she'll look at you and think, I love him even more now because I get to have him. I get to have everything that we are and our history and I get to have the dick. And I also get to have women and, and to, to be, you know, to not just to be bisexual because you can be bisexual in a monogamous relationship with an opposite partner, but to act on it. So it's a way of turning your inadequacy into something that strengthens your bond rather than tears at it. Like, I can't be this for you. Go get it. And then come home to me. And if she comes home in the right frame of mind, she should come home feeling grateful to you. That said, you're going to have jealousies. You're going to have insecurities. And it's on her, not on you, to hold your hand and, and work through that with you. You know, people say to people in open relationships, oh, my God, what about jealousy? Well, jealousy is something that people in closed relationships also struggle with. But the difference in an open relationship is how you process it together is how you prove to each other that the open relationship is working and it's right for you. It's a good choice for you guys. It's not that, oh, I experienced jealousy, therefore we can't be in an open relationship. It's, oh, I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling jealous. I need you to pay some attention to me. I need for you to talk with me about what's going on. I need reassurance right now. And then your partner that you've given this freedom to, she sits with you and she speaks with you and she offers you reassurance and you guys emphasize to each other again that you're the couple, that this is the primary relationship, that you are each other's top priority. And so there's nothing about you experiencing jealousy that she should be angry about unless your jealousy is weaponized, unless your jealousy is abusive, it's about control. If it's about genuine jealousy, genuinely experienced, not weaponized to to, to ruin her or destroy her life or, or control her actions in a shitty way, then it's not a problem. So the, the reason I called you back is I just got this sense that, that in your discussions with the wife, it's, it's all on you to make this work. And it's not all on you. It's also on her. If this is what she wants, this freedom to be with others while you are exclusive with her because you don't have a desire to be with others yourself, that she needs to hit certain marks to demonstrate to you that she can be trusted with this freedom. And that she respects you and loves you more for your having granted it to her. And that she's going to go the extra mile to prove to you that you're still her top priority. That this relationship, her marriage, is still her top priority. Even as she's getting some 
girl on girl sex that she's always wanted, even if she crushes out on somebody that she's getting with, that you're still number one. And you have a right to expect that from her. Okay? Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I guess I never really thought of it from the angles that you just said. And I already feel a lot better just uh, hearing what you're saying. It makes perfect sense. So regular check-ins. That's something you need to schedule. Regular check-ins about it. You know, if she's going to go out on a date with somebody, she needs to lavish some, like, time and attention and care on you before and after. Right. So, yeah, no, we, we, we have discussed that and it's gone to, I think, like a once a week thing to check in. Mm-hmm. And just, I think there's a lot of me getting in. I was overthinking a lot of it, thinking stress is all on me and not taking a step like you said and, and thinking about us. And I've tried to take a step back and think through things more and, and dial it down and just communicate more. But what you said is, it's true. I was putting it all on me and I wasn't really thinking how uh, it's on her too and pretty much us to make it work. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You've given her a real gift and you and you've given her you you've invested her with this freedom that she needs and she needs to earn it and not just earn it the first time she needs to prove to you she needs to demonstrate to you as a regular sort of dynamic in your relationship that she honors this and treasures it this freedom and honors and treasures you for having granted it to her and it's going to make sure that you always feel honored and treasured for granting her this freedom Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck to you both. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 20-something living in New York City. I had a question about bottoming. Now, I was hanging out with some friends recently, and they're really into it, like hardcore. And they talk about bottoming and how when their boyfriends are gone, they just want to sit on something or something like that. Well, I'm like a black guy. And oftentimes I don't really get many opportunities to bottom because many of the partners that I am with always want me to top them. Now I'm on my hookup apps and I'm trying my best to make it known that I am looking for, you know, um, opportunities to bottom more. And I'm not really getting any responses. Um, it's like astonishing that I'm really not able to really explore this at all because of, you know, I guess stigmas regarding race maybe. So my question is, one, what is so wonderful about bottoming? What am I missing out on? And two, um, how can I find more opportunities to go ahead and bottom? Joining me by phone from London to help tackle this question, Marquis, an event producer out of New York who works closely with LGBTQ organizations in the Hudson Valley and South Florida to help our community strive and empower LGBTQ youth. Hey, Marquis, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. So you are also like a black person and a black gay person. Isn't that right? Yeah, like a black and like a gay person. Yeah. I like that about you. I've always liked that about you. So... You know, tiptoeing through the kind of minefield that is this question, you know, he's he's basically having this experience, the, the caller, he's getting online, getting on apps, trying to find someone who will top him, and he's a black guy, and he's not having any luck finding someone who will top him. Everybody that he interacts with wants to be topped by him. Is that a problem that you've had in the dating scene? Uh, I would say yes and no. It, it really depends on the guys. It's uh, and also in the location of the world that I am. Mm-hmm. I would I would say a lot of guys, 
okay, a lot of guys that I'm attracted to want to top me, but then a lot of, there's also a higher number of guys that want me to top them. There's something I think that he didn't say in his call, and forgive me if this is out of line. He he wonders if this doesn't have something to do with the stigma around race. That's the that's, that's the phrase he used: stigma about race. That all black men are tops, and that left me thinking. Well, are you hitting on any black guys? Like when two black gay men go to bed together and they're going to do anal, somebody bottoms. Yeah, somebody's got, they're not going to just sit there and like circle jerk. Like, <laughs> right. Well, maybe. <laughs> like some people are into that. Not all gay men um, are into anal, but you know, if his experience on dating apps is that he can't find anybody who wants to, wants him to bottom for them, that wants to top him. And, and this is, and he attributes this to race. It makes me wonder if he's, you know, one of those black gay men who's only pursuing white guys. Yeah, he didn't say that. So I'm not too sure. Like, I don't have too much to go on, but I would say that depending on where he's at mm. in America. Oh no, he said he's, he's in New York. So right. I would say he might only be hitting on, on white guys. And that might be a thing. Like he might be hitting on Spanish guys. He doesn't know. It'd be nice to have him on to uh, get a bit more specific, but I would say more often than not, I mainly hit on white guys or pretend to hit on them. Cause I'm really bad at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say that, in my experience uh, with some guys that want me to top them, they kind of have like this little fantasy about being quote unquote raped mm. and, and that, like are dominated by a black guy. And that does play into stigmas about, about race and about black men and about black male sexuality, gay or straight. Exactly. Are, are you comfortable playing in that area? Are the guys that you meet able to compartmentalize this, able to understand that, you know, negative cultural forces shape their desires and they can explore their desires without buying into or reinforcing or replicating those natural, those negative cultural forces, those stereotypes and biases? Depending on the occasion, when I meet one of these guys uh, and they kind of get into it, I tend to kind of like stop them in their tracks because I say, I think it's a, during the sex or during the app mm-hmm. conversation, it's a lot of BBC, uh, the BBC that like, oh, hit me with your big black cock, hit right. like all of the, something like that. And I'm just like, I can't it be like my big cock or right. it's a little, <laughs> you know, something. It, what is it? It is yeah. dehumanizing. I'm, I'm curious though. And, and, you know, race is a much, you know, dicier uh, minefield and, you know, and, and people need to tread very carefully there. But if you're within, in bed with a guy who wanted to be called a faggot while you fucked him, would that be as problematic for you? Like there's a lot of gay men, you know, the ne- negative cultural forces and biases that, that shape our desires and warp our desires and, and, and work on our erotic imaginations sometimes spit out, you know, uh, feminist women who want to be thrown around or called a slut while they're having sex and that's their choice and they need to find somebody they can do that with consensually and it's compartmentalized to just the bedroom, just sex, just that kind of play. And so there are a lot of gay men out there who are into, who are into kind of homophobic, abusive language during sex by choice, consensually and compartmentalized. Is it possible to do the same thing with racial play or is that just too explosive? For me, I guess I'm a bit weird. I'm very sexual. I'm not very like talkative like sexual during sex mm-hmm. um so I, I get a lot of the the faggots a little bitch little things and for me i it doesn't do anything for me and mm-hmm. for it to like come out of me um that's where like you know super into it and they're just like call, call me a faggot call me your you know something like that but otherwise it's for me it kind of goes along the same lines for me with the race thing as it's going it like doesn't get me off so you don't do any of that sort of stuff no, I mean, yeah, no, I don't really, I don't do a lot of the, the demeaning 
uh, wordplay. I know that just for a lot of them, it's just uh, like purely sexual. But for I, in my mind, it doesn't uh, doesn't do anything for me. Not that I'm against it. It just it turns it turns me off a bit. Okay, it doesn't work for you. So circling back to the caller, you would affirm his perception that there's a lot of guys out there who, when they interact with a black gay guy on a dating app or a black bi guy on a dating app, are going to just automatically shunt the black guy into the role of the domineering top. I would say mostly. And also, you know, maybe it depends on all what he looks like. Is he a twink? Is he like six foot four and has a lot of muscles? Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody would, you know, presume that that guy might be the top and not the raging bottom that he wants to be. Okay, so let's answer his last two questions quickly. What's so wonderful about bottoming? You said that you're verse. What's wonderful about bottoming? For me, not sound like cliche, but when like with the right person, and also if they're doing it right, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it it can be really good. It can feel really good. It hits your your pleasure spots. And for some people, that as they're bottoming, they can. It's so good that they just come without even touching themselves. And I think that's uh, something that can be really pleasurable when you're bottoming. And uh, how does he find more opportunities to go ahead and bottom? What would you urge him to do? What would you recommend? I would say if he's on these hookup apps, he could, you know, like a lot of people put in those, if he wants to be straightforward, put in those emojis, like looking for eggplant, banana, or whatever (laughs) emoji. (laughs) Um, Put in his profile, not that he's versed, but that he is bottom. And that could weed out the very few people that actually read your profile. And when somebody's talking to him, unless he's really into them, uh, just say, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not a top on the bottom. And also, let's jump back to what we said earlier. Also, maybe if you're only pursuing white guys. Yeah, expand your market a little bit. There's a wide variety of guys out there, especially in New York City. If you're not traveling, there's tourists all the time. There's just, like you said, depending which area you are, you're in of New York City, there's many guys out there that you're not just looking for white guys. There can be Latin guys. Um, there could be other black guys. Marquis, you can find him at superiorsoundsevents.com. Follow him on Instagram at biscuittmfs. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Hey, Dan. I'm in a heterosexual relationship of nearly two years with my partner. We live together, have a dog together, and uh, plan to one day soonish uh, get married. She's for the last 12 years, about she's about 28 or so, um, dated, loved, and slept with exclusively women besides group sex once or twice with a straight couple. Um, I'm the first uh, man she's been in a relationship with since probably freshman year of high school. Um, we've been sexually monogamous since we started dating until about two weeks ago when we slept with a lesbian couple that are close friends of ours. It's been going really well and has happened a few times and we were both happy to explore sex with other people together simultaneously under the assumption at the time that we were both now completely open uh, my girlfriend has begun an intimate emotional and sexual relationship with one of her friends who i just sort of know through people well i was excited about the prospect of engaging in new exciting sexual experiences together i feel jealousy and resentment about the idea of her engaging with someone in a scenario that i'm not a part of at all I know that loving women is a huge part of who she is and who she has been, and I don't want her to feel like by being with me, she's losing that. But I'm not yet comfortable with complete polyamory. I don't want to tell her to stop seeing this person, and I'm finding it difficult to even tell her to reel it in, if you will. I suspect that by doing that, it sets a bad precedent of once again demanding that 
the female role differ completely to the male's desires in a modern day heterosexual relationship. She's assured me that I am and will always be her priority and that it's just who she is to want to love more than just one person. But it's just not something after only a year and a half of being together with us that I'm quite ready for. So I'm struggling with my feelings of wanting to keep a certain status of monogamy between us, balancing that with the guilt of feeling like by expressing my desire to not be completely polyamorous, I am inhibiting her ability to express her sexuality, love, and affection for other people. How should I handle wanting to feel safe and secure in my relationship while also not wanting to feel like I'm imposing myself and my preferred relationship status onto her? You're making this a lot more complicated than it actually is. You want your preferred model for a relationship is emotionally exclusive but not sexually exclusive. And obviously her preferred model is neither sexually exclusive nor emotionally exclusive. You want an open relationship. You're fine with sex with others. She wants an open relationship that's also poly where there are relationships and ongoing connections with others or one other. Somebody's got to give. Somebody's going to lose. Someone will have to pay the price of admission here. And that's the conversation that you two need to have. Is she okay with emotional exclusivity? Or does her thing for other women include, must it include for her, a strong emotional connection, emotional bond? Does she want to have relationships, concurrent romantic and sexual relationships with others? And if so, if that's what she wants, is she willing to give that up to be with you? And if not, are you willing to let her have that to be with her? Kind of a binary choice. Someone is going to have to pay the price of admission. The conversation you need to have is not with me. It's with her about that. Who will pay the price of admission for you two to continue to see each other, for you two to continue to be in this relationship? There are a lot of men out there who are comfortable with open relationships and women out there who are comfortable with open relationships so long as there's no emotional entanglement, so long as it's just sex. But for a lot of people, and maybe your girlfriend too, sex doesn't work absent some sort of emotional connection. So the openness becomes open in concept and theory only for some people if it doesn't allow also for an emotional connection, for a romantic connection and an ongoing romantic connection. To say to someone who really can't respond to another person sexually, I'm fine with an open relationship. I'm going to have sex with other people. You can have sex with other people as long as you don't have a romantic connection with anybody else is to say to them, I'm in an open relationship and you're not. So it might not be a price of admission. Your girlfriend is willing or able to pay to be with you. And then you may have to confront your fears around what it means to be with someone who is also with someone else. Those relationships can work. Some people who are convinced that that kind of relationship model wasn't for them come around when they see that their partner is capable of loving them and loving someone else at the same time without any loss, without you having to sacrifice anything. But to see whether that might work for you, you have to let it happen. You have to be willing to go there to see if it works for you or doesn't work for you. Sounds like you're already there. She's in this relationship with this other woman. Before you pull the plug, before you have the conversation, before you call the question about who's going to pay the price of admission, let it play out for a little bit longer. So perhaps you should give it a little time. You're already doing what she would rather do. And it's not what you would prefer to do. Before you pull the plug, before you call the question, before you determine who's going to pay the price of admission, before you issue the ultimatum, let this play out for a little bit longer and see if your fears about what it means to be in this kind of relationship aren't borne out. See if this kind of relationship, the kind that your girlfriend wants, might work for you too. 
And sometimes the only way to determine that is to, is to do it, is to try it. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about a teacher I had in high school. I found him on Grindr while it was home for the holidays, and he had a link on his Grindr profile to his Tumblr. I taped it into the browser and was horrified to find exclusively teacher-student and coach-student athlete porn. The kind where the teacher-slash-coach is using their power over the student to get sex. This reminded me of some uncomfortable encounters I'd had with him when he was my teacher back in high school, and I was the only student who was out. After seeing my mother at a local LGBT event, he'd ask me in, a, in the foreign language she teaches if I liked the presents she brought me. The presents that she brought me back were condoms. This comment struck me as inappropriate, and afterwards I distanced myself from him in the class he taught, and I also left the G- GSA he ran. I feel like the Tumblr filled with teacher-student porn was inappropriate, and my experience with him as a teacher supports this, but I'm afraid that this is just me being uncomfortable with the sexual kinks. We live in a conservative state, but a county with protections against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, and his sexual orientation is known to the community. Is this inappropriate? Should I attempt to bring this to light? And if so, how? So, yeah, this is a, a tough situation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, what's good is it kind of resolved itself. So he doesn't have that on his grinder, on his grinder anymore, but that's also because he's got like this I'm about to travel kind of notice on it. Uh-huh. Did you say something to him or did you just yeah. notice that it disappeared? No, I just noticed that it disappeared. Did he know he was talking to a former student when you guys were conversing on Grindr? Or did you talk or did you just see his profile? We weren't. No, I just saw his profile. Now, the inappropriate thing he said to you when you were a student, he was running the GSA and your mom came to a meeting and took some condoms home and he mentioned those condoms. Uh, and that was. Oh, uh, yeah, it was it was, it was it was it was at a. Yeah, that was it was weird. And like he didn't use the word, but like it was clear that that was what he was referring to. And it was not at a GSA event, but like for the local college. And was it was he leering when he said this? No, not really. It was just kind of it was just kind of uncomfortable. I just remember like kind of like getting out of the room as fast as possible. um, Like after he said that. Because you thought it might escalate because it was an opening move. Why, why did you, why I, not did you feel- necessarily, not necessarily because he was behaving predatorily, but just because I was so uncomfortable with the topic being brought up. Okay, so what you had here was, you know, an older gay person who 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 ran the GSA, mentioning the fact, you know, referencing the fact he didn't mention it directly that your mother had picked up some condoms and taken them home to you. Yeah, but he didn't make a pass. He wasn't leering. Is it possible that he mentioned this as as a way of normalizing condom use, encouraging condom use? Or do you really feel like he's trying to get in your pants? I don't know. I like I'm still like uncomfortable with the situation and I don't really know like how I was even supposed to respond to that question. I like I don't know. I just like I don't. What was, 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 was the problem? I, I'm, I guess I'm hinting at was it with the problem yours and not his? Were you? Was it sex yeah. negativity? Was it your discomfort as this at this authority figure basically referencing your dick in a roundabout way, like referencing the things your mom brought home that you're supposed to put on your dick if and when you become sexually active, and that made you uncomfortable to be in this situation where somebody, particularly shifting into a foreign language, so anybody else who might overhear you. Or overhear him at that moment, yeah. Be less likely to know what you two were talking about, and uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around whether he was 
grooming you, making a pass at you, or it was a clumsy attempt on his part to say, hey, condoms, condoms are good. You should be using them. Those things your mom brought home for you, that's something a good mom of a gay kid would do. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that that was that that was like that wasn't like what he followed it up with. And I think he understood my uh, discomfort and like whatever he was trying to move forward to. He just kind of had been shut down from he'd been cut off from it. Mm -hmm. And he never said anything inappropriate to you ever again. But you retreated. You left this GSA. Yeah. Have you ever heard about him? Switch classes. Doing anything inappropriate with others when you were in school? No, but like we have, we have a pretty small, uh, like out gay community, um, at my school. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really, yeah. I'm really wrestling this, you know, on the one hand, I often talk about the person who is a foot fetishist who works in the shoe shop and kind of secretly perving on the feet all day long. And that's not necessarily a problem. Um, I know someone who's a doctor, uh, friends, friends of friends, who's a medical fetishist. And so long as there's a firewall between the kinks that overlap with their professional life and their professional life, that they're not doing anything inappropriate to anyone at work is not necessarily a problem. There are a lot of people out there with those teacher, student, coach, student fantasies, even ones that are, you know, the fantasies involve manipulation and, and authority or power being leveraged. And, and those aren't necessarily terrible fantasies to have. And a lot of people have them. There's a lot of that kind of porn out there in the world. And, you know, we're going to Venn diagram it. There are, you know, probably people who are teachers and coaches and then there are people with these fantasies and there's going to be a little bit of overlap. And is that overlap are are people who are, you know, in the overlapping segment of that Venn diagram disqualified from being in these professions? What do you think? I'd say no, I'd say no. But I think what makes me the most uncomfortable about it is that that was like visible to people, like, I don't know, to students and things like that. Like, he has, I'm sure, over 18 students who are in his classes and who can, like, see his, you know, grinder and then, like, see the link to his Tumblr that he's since took down, taken down but, like, might put up again in the future and things like that. Right. And, and it's not just people who are over 18 who can get on grinder. That's one of the problems with... Yeah, yeah. Especially in, a, especially in a small town where a lot of people are closeted here. I'm sure that there are people under 18 who are on grinder. So even if we extended to him the benefit of the doubt and said, you know, he has these fantasies he would never act on them in this way. You know, he has teacher coach fantasies and he's actually a teacher coach, but he would never act on them. He's doing something risky and dangerous and inappropriate, uh, risky for himself by putting it out there that he has yeah. these fantasies because what would people think if it got out there? And, 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 you know, your question, is this inappropriate? I don't know if it's inappropriate. It's certainly ill-advised. It's certainly reckless. It's certainly stupid. And if he's not, abusing students he's making him look he's making himself look like someone who could or would or has yeah so it's incredibly reckless it's incredibly stupid and if he's not abusing anybody the only person at risk here is him and professionally yeah it's also it's also like concerning because like i don't know like if you're like a young gay kid it may make you uncomfortable to like realize that like those the single out gay like teacher at your school is like has like I don't know, teacher-student fantasies and that like make, might make it an uncomfortable dynamic, which it definitely did for me or it definitely would have for me. Especially if he's setting himself up by running the GSA as the authority figure or the older trusted adult that you could turn to. And you're going to feel yeah. less able or likely to turn to this person if you think that their interest in you isn't paternal uh, or 
you know, appropriately affectionate because you don't want to put yourself, make yourself more vulnerable to this person if you worry about being manipulated uh, or, or taken advantage of or abused or sexually assaulted or raped. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 the last question though that you asked was, should I bring this to light and how? And if you, you know, wrote a letter to the editor, if you brought it to the attention of the authorities or the people who run the school, if, you know, there was a crusading kind of sex-phobic, gay-phobic, kink-phobic local television news station and, and there are just by the market, <laughs> you could destroy his life. You could, you know, you could execute him socially and professionally. By getting this, I understand. Out yeah, <laughs> and so that, that's an awesome responsibility. Something you really have to, to to think about. And you're an adult now, right? Yeah. How can I ask you how old you are? Oh uh, yeah, t- uh, turning twenty in a week or so. Okay, congratulations! You're almost close to your first legal drink. He's an adult. <laughs> I would, if I were in your circumstance, I would reach out to him directly. I would say something to him directly. And say, look, you did this one thing a long time ago that made me feel uncomfortable. Maybe that wasn't your intention, but that was my uh, how I reacted, how I took it. It made me feel uncomfortable. I saw this, and this makes me really uncomfortable. And it's really stupid and reckless. And it's fine if you have these fantasies as long as they're, you would never act on them with an actual student. Just as it's fine for someone to have you know, a doctor who has medical fetish fantasies so long as they never engage or exploit or manipulate a patient that they have power over into enacting those fantasies with them. But this is so stupid, so reckless. You're going to destroy your life potentially if somebody stumbles over this. And it's going to make any student who gets on Grindr who finds that feel really uncomfortable. And if this comes out in the small conservative state where we live, in the small town, even though we have workplace protections in this county, it's going to make gay people look terrible. You're a high-profile out gay person in this community who the community entrusts to work with their children. And this is just so stupid and so reckless. What are you thinking? And then see what he says. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if he had acted inappropriately with you or more inappropriately, if he had made a pass at you, if you knew that he had preyed on other students, I would say drag him out into the public square time for the execution, the social and professional execution that he deserves. But there's, ambiguity here and enough ambiguity here that I would hesitate to execute him in that way, to destroy his life, his professional life. Although, yeah. although even I was as, thinking, as, as those words come out of my mouth, I'm so conflicted because what if he is preying on students and you don't know about it and I don't know about it and we're giving him the benefit of the doubt and it allows the predation to continue. And then it comes out five years from now that the whole time he had been preying on students but the evidence that we have isn't enough to, to, to make that conclusion. There are a lot of people out there who have fantasies that overlap a little bit with their professional lives where there are people who are vulnerable or that they have power over. And so long as they build a firewall between their professional lives and their professional power and the realization or the enactment of their fantasies, it's not a problem. And yeah. if this guy has done that – and that's a conversation that you, adult to adult, can have with him right now. If he has done that, if he hasn't ever acted on this, if this is for him just a fantasy that he meant on Grindr to share with other adult males who are not his students so they can role play this and he can get his kink on in an appropriate way with appropriate partners to drag him out into the public square and, and socially and professionally execute him based on the evidence that we have 
at hand now. I'm just not comfortable advising you to do that. I understand. I was thinking I should reach out to former students and other former students. I know of at least one who wasn't out during high school, but has come up since and just like ask them if anything similar had happened. Yeah, I think you should do that. But I think also while you're doing that or after you do that, you should reach out to him and say, whoa, dude. Yeah. What you did, what you said to me then, you know, maybe I overreacted. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was sex negativity. Maybe you were just trying to like encourage me to use condoms and offer this creepy praise to my mom for providing them to me. <laughs> but you had to notice that I got out of your class and I stopped coming to the GSA. So I hope you knock that kind of affectionate condom dick references off with students. But I noticed this and dude, hopefully you would never act on this. Hopefully you've never touched a student of yours. But people are going to assume that you have. This is – what are you doing? What are you thinking? And maybe that's the fear of God moment that he needs. And you can put that fear of God into him. Or maybe he's slamming his hand on the self-destruct button. Ah, I'm so conflicted. I don't know what to tell you to do. <laughs> Talk to those other students that, that you know that, that you can reach out to about their experiences with him. That'll inform uh, the choices you make going forward, or the decision you need to make going forward. Talk to him too. Okay. Thank you, Dan. And good luck. And give us a call back. Let us know how it goes. We, I, I would like to know how this plays out and what ultimately you have to do. Okay, I will. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Dan et al. I'm in a terrific open relationship. We're a cis-hetero couple in our 40s, um, and we've been together around five years. We live together but aren't married, and while we have some shared expenses, our finances are separate. So he prefers to have a friendship with his extracurricular partners, like where they hang out and talk in addition to having sex. But he doesn't want to get together more than once or twice a month because he has other life priorities. And because of this, it's challenging for him to find someone who isn't looking for a more committed relationship and is okay getting together infrequently. So the other day, I half-jokingly said that what he needs is a professional sex worker who he can see occasionally and have an ongoing friendship with as well, <laughs> kind of like my hairdresser, who I see every couple months, and we have a nice time chatting about friends and family and work and stuff, although I don't have sex with her, <laughs> but we've known each other for a long time, and we have boundaries to our relationship, and it works really well for both of us. She does provide a great service that I appreciate. So that said, I have kids and we live in an area where prostitution is illegal, so I'm not comfortable with him risking getting into legal trouble that could result in him being on the sex offender registry and um, all the baggage that goes along with the um, prudishness of our culture. So shortly after our chat, he read a New York Times article about being a sugar daddy and started looking into that as a legal alternative to hiring a sex worker. But for reasons that I don't understand, I'm totally squicked out by it. Um, I hate the terminology, so the language is really incestuous, the idea of allowances, like it's your child, and sex with sugar babies, like they're not even teenagers, they're babies, it's disgusting, it's really gross, and it makes me want to vomit, but there's more to it than that, like that's not the problem, I'm just feeling super uncomfortable, and I don't understand why. I can't sort out why hiring a legal sex worker would be fine, but sugar daddying freaks me out so much. So, Dan, what's my deal? Can you help us figure this out? There's really not a dime's worth of difference between a sex worker that he sees once every couple of months and he has a friendly relationship with and a good rapport with. I love the comparison of a, a sex worker that you see every once in a while and you have a good rapport with and you converse with to a hairdresser who provides you with a service and you guys have a rapport and you converse about your lives and you connect. But it's a commodified relationship. It's a professional relationship. But there's affection and friendship and a connection there. That's a wonderful and lovely comparison. Two different types of service providers. 
And there's not a dime's worth of difference, like I said, between the relationship that you describe with a sex worker, a la hairdresser, for your husband, and a sugar daddy, sugar baby thing. Except sugar daddy, sugar babies, those allowances tend to be a lot larger. Like people who are in sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships, it's not just a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks or 500 bucks for a couple hours time every couple of months. It's thousands of dollars typically. It's subsidizing someone's lifestyle, their rent, their income, taking them shopping. Sugar baby, sugar daddy tends to involve a lot more money than the sex worker hired for a couple of hours every couple of months. Sugar baby, sugar daddy also typically is an exclusive relationship where the sugar baby has just one sugar daddy, although I'm sure there are sugar babies out there who have more than one daddy and perhaps sugar daddies out there have more than one baby. As for the terminology squicking you out so much, yeah, it's a little squicky. You know, sugar sometimes means money and some places it means money. Sugar baby is the name of a candy bar that's delicious and people want to put it in their mouths. And I think that's where it all came from. People just latched onto that. It's not about the desire to fuck an infant any more than two people who are having sex who are partnered where it's not a commodified relationship, calling each other baby in the moment. Oh, baby, you're so hot. They don't mean baby. They don't mean infant. It's a pet name that means something very different. Don't be so literal here. Extend to sugar baby, sugar daddy, the same sort of, yeah, whatever we extend to baby or doll. Don't mean I don't mean I want to fuck a doll. Doesn't mean I'd rather be putting my dick in an inanimate object. It means you're my doll. So sugar baby, sugar daddy, not about parent-child relationships, not about adult men having sex with infants that they've purchased. Doesn't mean that at all. And you'll just have to get over it. If indeed your boyfriend, pardon me, I think I called him your husband earlier, chooses to go this route. It's a much more expensive route than finding a sex worker that he sees once every couple of months. But your finances are separate, and if he's rolling in it and he wants to go this way, might be better. Especially if it's one of those sugar baby, sugar daddy relationships that are sexually exclusive because then you don't have to worry as much as you might about sexually transmitted infections. Asterisks and footnote here, studies have shown that people are as likely to get a sexually transmitted infection from a random or anonymous or a committed partner as they are from a sex worker. Sex workers are not vectors of disease, but often people have anxieties and perhaps it would assuage your anxieties around STIs if your partner was paying someone to see and fuck only him is often the sugar baby, sugar daddy compact. Hi, Dan. I just listened to your episode where you discussed sex robots with Luke Burbank. I agreed with everything that you said that some people have no options and that's why they use them. But to me, as a woman, the reason that they're creepy is because they are like the personification of rape culture. It's the body of a woman who can't say no to them and who the men can just use like an object but feels like a real woman. And, uh, I mean, I think like, thank God, at least they're not like doing the things that they're probably doing to these robots, to actual women. But the idea that they want a robot who can't reject them like a woman can is just like fucked up. It's rapey and it's fucked up. This is in response to episode 583, the woman asking about fertility calendars and birth control. I was a lot like you for many, many years. Birth control made me super moody, weight gain. I'd watch myself be crazy and I overall just hated it. I have now been using a fertility calendar for about 10 years now and it's 
awesome. I can plan vacations around my period. It's so regular. And I can just use these app, this app to look in advance at when I'm going to be on my period and cycling. And it's, it's amazing. I will say it took about six months for things to even out when I got off birth control. Um, but now I can set my watch to my cycle. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, the other thing, though, is that not everyone is regular. So it may or may not work with you. However, my fiance and I now are using it to uh, get pregnant because it tells us when and I will exactly be the most receptive to his sperm. So good luck with that. Yeah. Hi, Dan. This is a comment regarding the woman um, whose husband called because she wants to have a gay best friend or a GBS, as millennials are now calling it. As a straight woman who has a lot of gay male friends, friendships I've made organically throughout the years of my life, my best advice to her would be to join gay causes, um, become an active ally in the LGBT community. I met my best friend when we were fighting against Prop 8 in California. So, you know, join LGBT-related causes and friendships will forge um, organically. And also, you can join the theater. Yeah, you can go ahead and just join LGBT causes and she uh, can become a proactive ally and make some really great friends in the process without accessorizing them. Gay friends are not accessories. You don't need a token friend. Um, You can let your friendships forge naturally by just being a really good ally. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Marquise on Twitter at BiscuitTMFS. If you like the Savage Lovecast, particularly the top of the show, you're going to want to also listen to Blabbermouth, the Stranger's Weekly Politics and Culture and News and Whatever podcast, hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Eli Sanders. Look for Blabbermouth on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs> <laughs>